0: we can be confident in knowing that God is with us that God is uh, able to do his work that he wants to do and that's what I'm looking forward to I'm asking that the Lord speaks to hearts and changes lives and I'm asking that he starts with mine and I want you to pray the same thing I I feel that um, and for me when the Lord starts with me it helps everything else because I'm usually my biggest problem and so Um, That's what I'm praying for tonight. The Lord starts with me and that God does the work that needs doing in my life, in our life. That he speaks to us through his word and just shows up and has his way and will in everything that we do. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me back to Romans chapter number 13. And tonight we're going to be finishing up really Paul's um, truth on relationships. Because that's really what we've been talking about. For the last several months in Romans 12 and 13 the Apostle Paul by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit is telling us how to live out our faith. He's giving us what our duties are as believers. Now we've talked about this before and we said that uh, for these first 11 chapters that the Apostle Paul talks to us about doctrine and, and what we, we believe and why we believe it. That's what doctrine is all about. But then he swaps the duties and he tells us what we should be doing with that, how we're to live out what we believe. And I've told you for the last two or three weeks that we live out our faith through our relationships. That's how we make the difference. Dr. Tony Evans uh, talks a lot about our sphere of influence. I love how he puts that. That's exactly what we have. Each and every one of us. I have a sphere of influence. You have a sphere of influence, whether it be in this church or at our home or at our workplace or at the grocery store or at the ball game. Wherever we meet people, we have a sphere of influence. And we're to live out our faith in those relationships for the honor and glory of God and so that we might point others to Jesus. And that's what Paul's telling us to do here and he's telling us how to do it. That's another thing I love about the Word of God. The Word of God tells you what to do, but then it tells you how to do it. It It don't leave... Uh, You hanging as to what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to get it done. And so I'm thankful for that and we need to apply this truth to our life because it's going to make all the difference. So he starts off with our relationship to God and he says that we're to be fully committed under the Lord. We're to commit fully ourselves to God in every way. Our body, our mind, our will, we're to give it all to the Lord and allow Him to have His way and will in our lives. And if we don't do that then no other relationship is really going to be what it's supposed to be if we don't uh, commit fully unto the Lord. But then he goes on to our relationship to believers in Romans chapter number 12 and uh, really verses 3 through about uh, verse number uh, 15 or, or, or 16 there. And he talks to us about how um, we are to cooperate lovingly with other believers. Commit fully to the Lord, cooperate lovingly with other believers because many of you know God has put us together as the body of Christ So that we might accomplish His His purpose, what He wants. The Bible tells us we are many members that make up one body, and God uses our differences to make us one so that we might accomplish His purpose, the Lord Jesus being the head of the body. How do you know Jesus is the head? And if we are members that make up one body, we are to be doing what the head tells us to do. We are to be fulfilling his purpose, his mission. And his mission is laid out for us in the Great Commission. See, everything we do as the body of Christ is to be centered around uh, preaching the gospel across the street and around the world. I'm talking about every prayer we pray, every message we preach, every lesson we teach, every class, every plan, every program has to be centered around us. Sharing the gospel with with the whole world. That is the great commission according to the Lord Jesus. And again, that's where we find our mission. So we cooperate lovingly one with another, many members making up one body, and we operate by the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you something. When you've got a church cooperating lovingly, many members in one body, and operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then uh, there's nothing we can't accomplish. There's nothing we can't do uh if we cooperate with one another and operate by the power of the holy spirit i'm telling you the sky's the limit for a group like that and so uh, he tells us to commit fully to the lord cooperate lovingly with others others and then he talks about us about our relationship to enemies and he says that we are to as much as possible if it be possible in any way we are to live peaceably even with our enemies to live at peace with all men. Now I don't know how we got to where we are in our country today, but somehow, some way, we've got to the place where if people disagree, uh, then folks automatically think that that you're supposed to hate one another. Folks, listen. The great thing about the freedoms we enjoy as Americans is that we can believe how we want to believe. We can say what we want to say. That don't mean I hate you or you have to hate me. That just means we disagree. That just means we're different. Um, I tell you, I've got dear brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this church uh, that I love just like family. I consider my church family to be family. We are blood kin. The blood of Christ has been applied to my heart and life by faith. The blood of Christ has been applied to your heart and life by faith if you trusted in Jesus. So I consider you my brothers and sisters. But I want to tell you something. Even amongst family, we're going to have disagreements from time to time. I'll tell you, Brother Ben Harris, I love that brother with all my heart, because the truth is, no matter how closely we believe, there's going to be some things me and him disagree on. Guess what? That's all right. That's okay. Uh, Brother Eric, hey, man, I love you, brother. I'm thankful for you. But there's going to be some things we disagree on. Sister, I love you, but you know what? There's going to be some things, no matter how closely we believe, we're going to disagree on some things. And, And it's okay to disagree. We're all different with different personalities, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. See, if everybody was just like Israel Price, this world would be a boring place. It really would. I promise you that. So I'm glad that we're all different, and it's okay to agree to disagree. Now, there's some things I'm not going to move on. There's foundational principles of the Word of God that I'm not going to move on, and the Bible even instructs us that many times we may have to break fellowship over those foundational principles. But for the most part, We can do everything we can to live peaceably with all men. And we should do that as believers. We must do that as believers. And so we are to commit fully, cooperate lovingly, live peaceably. And then last week, we talked about our relationship to government as the people of God. I remember when I first started preaching years ago and... I'd preached a revival service. The Lord allowed me to go to this church and preach a full week of revival services. And man, just had a great time. The Holy Spirit of God did a work that only God can do. Saw souls saved, lives changed. And it's just great. I loved it always thankful for the opportunity to go and preach revivals. And so I really enjoyed that that week. And I'll never forget the last night of the revival. And I'm so glad he waited to the last night because it would have killed me if he'd have done it the first or second night. But an older pastor that had, who I had a lot of respect for came to me after the last night and still have respect for. But he came to me after the last night of revival and he said, he said son, I want to tell you something. He said, you need to leave politics out of the pulpit. Now, I, And I've heard that a whole lot throughout my life, I really have, you know, that we shouldn't talk politics in church, but I could not be in any more disagreement with that statement than what I am, I'll just be honest with you, let me tell you why, I don't know how I can do that. Folks, I, I gotta say this, because I've trusted in Jesus, he's changed me, he's real to me, And I want to tell you something. Listen to me now. I believe in the absolute truth of God's word. I believe this scripture, all 66 books, to be God-breathed. I believe it is the standard by which I base my life upon. It is the foundation for everything I know to be true. I believe that. I'm not saying you have to believe that, but I'm telling you I do. And because I believe that and because Jesus has made a difference in my life, I want to say this to you, listen to me. That permeates everything everything I'm about. That gives me a biblical worldview that I can't ignore. And whether I'm having a discussion in church like we are tonight, or I'm having a discussion out of church at my home or at my workplace or, or wherever, then, then it's going to permeate. My beliefs are going to permeate everything I do, whether it be in the church house or in the voting house. It's going to permeate everything I do. And if it doesn't, it, then, it, then it's not going to be real to me. So I don't know how I can just keep quiet about what's going on in our world. We shouldn't do that. Listen, we're not called to do that. As a matter of fact, I think that's why we're in the mess we're in is because we haven't stood up and let our voice be heard. We must do that as the people of God. As I read Romans chapter 13, the question is not whether or not a Christian should be involved in government. How can you not be involved in government? How can you not be involved with politics as far as what I see in Romans chapter number 13? Now, how do we, what is that relationship supposed to look like? Well, I think we ought to respect government fundamentally. All right? Respect government fundamentally. We found out last week that government is ordained by God for the purpose of restraining evil. Paul understood that full well. He wrote this in the book of Romans, chapter 13, but he also wrote to uh, whom he calls his son in the faith, Timothy. And so, if you will, flip over with me to 1 Timothy. chapter number 2, and listen what he says to Timothy concerning governmental relations as a believer. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So you ought to be praying for all men the Bible tells us. And then he makes a specific request or command to Timothy here in verse number 2. He says for kings and for all that are in authority. He says you especially need to be praying for those who have authority over you. Now we don't live under a king we certainly live under a president, a constitutional republic where our rights are outlined. And if we need, we must, as the people of God, we need to be praying for those who have authority over our lives. For what purpose? He, he tells him. He says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, the purpose of government is to strain evil through the process of law and order so that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. Amen? Now, listen to me, folks. You you need to understand, we must understand as believers, where there is no law and order, we truly can't have freedom. We're certainly not going to live at peace. And it's going to be very difficult for us to live godly lives that are pleasing unto the Lord. So we must respect government. Fundamentally speaking, and and, and listen, I, I said this last week, I want to say it again so that we're clear on it. You may not respect those who have authority over you, but when you cannot respect the man or woman, and that's certainly been the case for me at times in my life, when you can't respect that person, you should definitely respect the office. You must do that to be a good citizen. I'll be honest with you, there is nothing I can't think of one thing I agreed with Barack Obama on, I really can't. I can't think of one policy that he was for that I was really for. I mean, we were, it was completely backwards as far as politics was concerned with that man and myself. But even though I could not respect him to a large degree, I certainly respected the office and I prayed for my president, President Barack Obama. You understand what I'm saying? So, we respect government fundamentally speaking. Now, we also learned how to respond to ungodly government. And whenever government begins to dictate how you serve the Lord, then guess what? I can't obey government anymore. Because my allegiance is not to government, but to God. We talked about it last week. Government is not God, God controls government. Amen. And we see that even with the Apostle Paul. I mean, there came a time when they told him, look, you've got to quit preaching about this Jesus because you're saying Jesus is Lord, but under Roman law, Caesar is Lord. Guess what? He couldn't shut up about that. Why? Even though it was, uh, and and, and people who had authority over him said he had to keep his mouth closed. He knew who had the greatest authority. He knew who had allegiance to, and his allegiance was not to Caesar but to Jesus. And so ultimately it cost the man his life, but he kept preaching the truth, even in breaking the law. So there comes a time when we must rebel against that which is ungodly. Amen? Let me, let me clear up two things too. that. I'd spoke to you about last week, and there's so much going on right now. It's hard to keep everything straight. I'll just be honest, but I talked to you a little bit about Kenosha and what's happening there with the riots, the young man that was shot by the name of Jacob Blake, and I and I misspoke last week and I said he was killed. He was not killed. He was shot. He's recovering now. Um, they think he's going to have some problems long term, but he he was he was not killed. Somebody had spoke that said that to me this week that don't even go to church here. So. Um, I do want to I do want to make that that plain, and also I talked to you a little bit about State Bill 145 from the California Legislature and what all that was about, um, and, and I had questions about that, and and, and so I want to make sure that everybody knows we're all on the same page with this. Let me just read to you straight from their website about the bill that was passed last Monday evening. Existing law, the Sex Reg- Offender Registration Act, requires a person convicted of one of certain crimes as specified to register with law enforcement as a sex offender while residing in California or while attending school or working in California. Now, as far as I can tell, the uh, the original law said that if you Um, have a history as a sex offender, when you come to live in California or work in California, you must register as a sex offender when you get there. That was the current law before this bill was passed. This bill would exempt from mandatory registration under the act a person convicted of certain offenses involving minors. If the person is not more than 10 years older than the minor, if that offense is only one requiring the person altogether. So really what that says, is that a 25-year-old man or woman who has sexual relations with a minor that's only 10 years, no more than 10 years younger than them, they don't have to register as a sex offender. I don't know about you. A lot of people say, well, that don't make it legal for them to commit sexual acts with a minor. Well, if it don't, it's close, and it sickens me, and it ought to sicken you, and I'm saying it's wrong tonight, and I'm going to keep saying it's wrong. That's terrible. I cannot believe anybody would even come up with that. However, that's the world we live in. So don't you think it's important that Christians be involved in government? Don't you think it's important that we speak our mind concerning politics? You better. Because this is where we're we're headed. These are the things that are happening now that I never dreamed would have happened even five or ten years ago. But we're here. And so we got to know where we stand on this stuff. We fundamentally respect government according to Romans chapter number 13. So then the Apostle Paul really ends all of this the way it needs to be ended. (laughs) Look what he says, Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 tonight. We'll go to another place in just a moment. But listen what it says there in the 8th verse. O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now watch what he tells us. He then says in verse number 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That is so good, man. And it's so good because it's so true, and it's so true because that is saying the same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 22. Amen? Really, I've told you before, the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. So I'm going to give you some commentary from God's Word on Romans 13, 8-10 from Matthew 22 at the sayings of Jesus. Let's flip over there. Keep your place in Romans chapter 13. Flip over to Matthew chapter 22 and let's look there just a moment. There's three main points that I want to give you tonight concerning the law. And what Jesus says about it here in Matthew 22 verses 37 or let's just start with verse 34 we'll go 34 through 40. Three things I want to give you. First of all I want us to see the purpose of the law. Secondly we're going to see the problem with the law and then thirdly we're going to see the, the power of love. Alright let's look what it says. Matthew 22 verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence they were gathered together. Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question tempting him and saying Master which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Let's go on. He says this is the first and great commandment. Then he says, And the second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, we need you tonight. Without you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. But we realize by and through your power all things are possible. So, Lord, we're asking that you move me out of the way this evening. You use me and give us a fresh touch, a fresh anointing in this place that only you can can bring, only you can give. And, Lord, we're going to praise you for that because we know you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So what is the purpose of the law according to what Jesus says here? Well, the purpose of the law is to first of all instruct us how to love God and love people. That's what the law was all about. That's what it was given for when God gave it to Moses all the way back in the book of Exodus. Now you understand and realize the law that these folks were talking about or the question they were asking to Jesus was not just concerning the Ten Commandments but the whole law that was... um, Um, documented by the scribes themselves. See, God gave Moses 10 commandments, and then the scribes documented 613 commandments. So it went from 10 to 613. um, About 248 of those laws were positive, and about 365 of those laws were very negative. So I want you to think about it. These scribes, these Pharisees, these Sadducees were always wondering and arguing about what was the greatest law. I mean, if you've got to keep 613 of them, probably what you want to figure out, because you know you can't keep all of them, is what's the most important one to keep. And I think that's really what they were asking. Lord, what's the most important law? Because we want to make sure that we don't break that one. We may break some of the smaller ones. They actually, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, had actually divided the law into the heavy laws and the light laws. And they wanted to make sure they kept the heavy laws even if they couldn't keep the light laws. But the problem with that is, all of it is the law. (laughs) And if you fail in just one point, we're going to see in a moment, moment, that causes you a, a whole lot of problems. And so they're asking him, which one is the greatest? And Jesus sums all of it up. He says... If you want to know what the law is all about, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you're going to love people. He makes it very simple. He makes it very plain. So the purpose of the law is to instruct us, first of all, how to love God. Again, if you don't get that relationship right, you're not going to get any other relationship right. Let me tell you what I found out. Uh, Folks, a man who don't know Jesus, who has never experienced the love of God himself, he can't show the love of God to others. See, a husband who's never truly trusted in Jesus and been shown God's love cannot make known God's love to his wife and to his children. A a, a woman, a, a mother, a wife, she really don't know how to love others until she's experienced the love of God. I've seen it so many times man people get saved and they they're the, by the radically by the power of God and everything starts changing in that household. And, and then it becomes just like popcorn. Man, the, the husband might get saved and he starts showing the love of Christ to his wife and to his kids. And, and and listen, before long it'll be just the wife will get saved and the kids will get saved and that whole family is turned around for the honor and glory of God. All because the love of God was introduced into that um, whole situation there. And so that's... Folks, when you get that love relationship with God, then it changes your relationships with other people. So Jesus said the first thing is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. With everything you got, man, love the Lord. Amen. Love the Lord. And loving the Lord means serving the Lord. And we'll see that in just a moment. But he says the first purpose of the law is to instruct us how to love God and love people. But then let me tell you what the law does. The law shows us truly who we are. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 22. Flip over with me just a moment to Galatians chapter number 3. Paul makes it plain the purpose of the law for all of us in Galatians the third chapter. And look down at verse number 23. This is very important that we see this. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. We were under, the, the word there actually means that we, they were under the weight of the law, the burden of the law. Then he says this, watch. He says, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24 says, wherefore the law, watch this now, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Let me ask you something. What does a schoolmaster do? He's talking about a teacher here. A teacher instructs their student on whatever it is they need to learn. So if you've got a math teacher, what does that math teacher do? She or he instructs their students on what they need to know about reading, or excuse me, about uh, adding and subtracting and division, long division, God help us. They instruct them on... Uh, on on different subjects in math. If you've got a reading teacher, they do the same thing with reading. They instruct their student as to what they need to know concerning language and reading and writing. You've got a history teacher, the same thing. So when the Bible says that the law became our schoolmaster, what was it instructing us to? It was instructing us about ourselves. It was showing us who we really are. It was showing us our great need for Jesus. It brought us under Christ the law began showing us that we couldn't keep it that we couldn't abide by the law when you break down those 10 mosaic laws that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai four of them deal with our relationship to God six of them deal with relationships to others and when we start going down the list i bet if we're honest i don't bet i know if we're honest with ourselves we can see how much we need Jesus. Because the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that we should have no other gods before the one true God. Has anybody kept that commandment? Because the truth is, we put things before the Lord all the time. All of us do if we're honest with ourselves. I was at a um, church service once upon a time, and it was actually a, a men's group, went there to preach at a, at a men's group, men's breakfast, and uh, after the the group was over, after that men's breakfast, we were all standing around talking, and one of the guys came in um, and missed the, the brotherhood breakfast that morning, and uh, the pastor looked at him and called him by name and said, Man, how you doing? We we missed you this morning. I I I was uh, expecting to see you here. He said, oh, preacher, I run out of peanut butter." And the pastor looked at him and said, you "Run out of peanut butter?" He said, "Yeah, one excuse just as good as another one." <laughs> I, I like that. He was just being honest. He just said, "Look, man, I, I really don't have an excuse. I just I wasn't here." See, many times all of us put other things. Before the Lord, you say, "Well, brothers, or does it mean that we serve God by coming to church?" Well, that's part of it. That's certainly part of it, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir here with the Wednesday night crowd. I'm just—I think it needs to be said, though, that hey, we serve God through the body of New Testament local believers, right? So we've all failed in keeping God first. <laughs> That not only have I failed God, but I've failed men. The Bible says I shouldn't covet. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I got a dear friend of mine who sent me a picture two nights ago of of a a TR-21X bass boat, Triton bass boat. And I got to be honest, when I seen that picture, I coveted a little bit. I mean, I really wanted that bass boat when he sent me the picture. And so not only have I sinned against God, but I've sinned against men. The law begins showing us how sinful we truly are. It is our schoolmaster that brings us unto Christ so that we might be made right by faith. And the truth is, the only way we can be made right is by faith. By grace, through faith. In the finished work of Jesus. We're never going to be made right by the law. If we could be made right by keeping the law, Jesus never had to come to start with. Right? So we need the Lord. And the law shows us uh, just how much we need Him. So we see the purpose of the law. What's the problem with the law? Anybody got anything on that? What do you think the problem with the law is? It's Yeah. Impossible for who? for us so so there's nothing wrong with the law there's something wrong with me the, the problem is not in, in, in the holiness of the law it's not in, in, in the purpose of the law it, it, the problem with the law is not the law but the problem is me I can't keep it you can't keep it you say oh brothers, I can't nobody's perfect but I mean come on I do the best I can do well there's a big problem with that the best you can do is not good enough when you put it up next to God's holy standard go go to James chapter 2 with me James chapter 2 and look down at verse number 10 Watch what this says. For whosoever shall keep whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. That's huge. See, the problem for me in preaching the gospel, sharing my faith one-on-one with people many times, is getting them to see their need for it. Because what most people want to do, as a matter of fact, I believe it's impossible for me to talk them into that. I believe it's a work of the Holy Spirit that shows a man, woman, boy or girl his need for the gospel. That's the drawing of the Holy Spirit that does that. That brings us to the realization that We've broken God's law, and because we've broken God's law, we stand under God's wrath. So what I, what I usually run into, and, and for those of you who shared your faith or been on mission trips and, and done some of this, you've probably heard it too. People will talk about, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than this guy over here, that guy over there. I, being a pastor, they, they always want to bring up, I'm better than the Pastor down the road that did this or didn't do that, or that deacon over here that I know that just sorry as the day is long, and they always want to bring up stuff like that. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than this guy or that guy. Now there's 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 only one problem with that. See, we're not judged by someone else's standard. I may look at you and say, "Man, there goes a great guy, a great girl, whatever." You may look at me and say, "That's a pretty good old guy," but the truth is. I'm not going to be judged according to your standard. You're not going to be judged according to my standard. No matter what some guy down the road does or don't do, what this preacher does or don't do, or what that deacon does or don't do, the truth is we're not held to their standard. All of us collectively in this world is under God's standard. Why? Because he's creator. And we learned in our witnessing class last time we were together, if he's in create if he's creator, then he's in control. And if you've got a problem with God's standard, you've got to create your own universe. But until you can do that, you better be under, you better just adhere to God's standard. Right? And so what, what the 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 uh, the law shows us is that we are all guilty before God. And James says, you may do really good and keep all the law, but if you just break one. You're guilty of every bit of it. That makes you unholy before a holy God. You getting that? Let let, let me put it to you like this. If you're hanging on on a chain with 10 links over a fire, what's going to cause you to get burned? How many links have to break for you to get burned? Just one link. That's what James is saying. If we just break one of the laws of God's law, we just break one of them. It makes us worthy of a devil's hell. Jesus said, God's standard is much higher than our standard. Look in Matthew chapter 5. Brother, if you will please put this on the screen for me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Jesus talking to a bunch of Pharisees who believed it was by their own self-righteousness that they'd be made right with God. He makes it very plain to them and to us. Listen to what he says. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, is Jesus teaching perfection is the only way to God the Father? Absolutely. That's what he's teaching. He says we got to be perfect if we're going to be made right with God. Are you getting me? Let me ask you something who's perfect? Amen. Amen. He's the only one. And that's ultimately his point that he's making to these religious-minded people. He's letting them know they're not perfect. Even though they were sticklers for the law, even though they kept the law as best they could, they were not perfect. He said, if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom, you've got to be perfect. See, we need someone else to help us if we're going to be made right with God. We need grace, which brings me to my last point. I want you to see the purpose of the law and the problem with the law, but you've got to see the power of love. Now, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son, he gave Jesus. For what purpose? Jesus came to fulfill God's righteousness under the law. Now get a hold of this. Listen. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 17. He said he didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to Fulfill the law think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy But to fulfill see jesus came and was born sinless He was born through the virgin birth not born of the seed of man, but of God He was born perfect so that he might in turn live perfect and in living perfect He fulfilled the law perfectly. Doing what? Loving God and loving man. Isn't that what he said the whole law hinges on? (laughs) And that's what he did for the 33 and a half years that he was upon this earth. He fulfilled the law perfectly, therefore fulfilling the righteousness of God. In fulfilling the righteousness of God... He became the Lamb of God that would then take away the sin of the world. See, folks, the truth is, nobody could die for sin but Jesus. Nobody. I couldn't. Let me tell you why. Because I'm a sinner. Born into sin, sinner by nature, and sinner in action. I'm a rebel against God. I couldn't die for sin. You couldn't die for sin. Nobody could die for sin except the sinless born Son of God who fulfilled the law. That's why John said to his disciples when he saw Jesus walking in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So God showed his love to us through Jesus so that those who trust in Christ can then show the love of God to a lost and dying world. Boy, there's power. Amen? Love changes things. Love changes people. Love changes churches. Folks, I want to tell you, I I want us to be a Christ-centered, people-loving church. And if we're not that, we're nothing. This is to be the place of love. This is the book of love. We are to be the people of love. If we don't do that, we're nothing. Warren Wiersbe. I love Warren Wiersbe. He said something concerning the power of love that I, love, I, I really like. He says, if we have a right relationship with God, we will have no problem with His commandments." See, if we love Him, we're going to do what He says. My relationship to God is not one of obligation. It's not one of me trying to repay a debt because, folks, we're never going to repay the debt we owed. My relationship to God, I'm doing what I'm doing not so I can earn God's love, but so I can show God how much I love Him. Amen? When you've got that right relationship with the Lord, then you don't have a problem with doing what he said. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments, John 14, 16. So the, the, the test of whether or not you really love the Lord, or are you doing what he tells you to do? See, all of us can talk about it, and it's, and it's fun to talk about, and man, I love preaching about it, but then the true test is how you're how you living it out. What's it looking like in your life? Now, look at the next part of his statement. For love is the foundation of obedience. I love that. When you are operating in a love relationship with God, then it's no longer burdensome. It's not a mundane existence. It's not you trying to check off a bunch of lists of right and wrongs. It's you operating by the Spirit of God for the glory of God because you love Him. Amen? That's so, that's so good. That's when life becomes worth living. That's when he's making all the difference. So when we truly love God, let me tell you what we'll do. We will love people. We have to. Now, I'll be honest. I've actually thought many times, Lord, I love you, but I don't know about your kids. I'm struggling with your kids. How about you? Anybody else? Lord, I love you, I want to serve you, I want to please you, I want to do what you want me to do, but your kids are driving me crazy. But if we're loving God, we're going to love people. We've got to. We serve God and show our love for God by loving people. Jesus said it, John 13, 34. This is a new commandment I'm giving unto you, that you love one another even as I have also loved you. And then he says, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye come to church. Is that what it says? Anything wrong with coming to church? Lord, no. I wish more people would come to church. I get so stinking sick of empty pews. Let me just go ahead and say this too. If the only place you're social distancing from is church, you're doing it wrong. I'll just say that. Just throw it out there. Something's wrong. I mean, you're want to serve God through the local church. So, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with coming to church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you can quote Scripture. Is that what it says? Anything wrong with quoting Scripture? Absolutely not. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, as we renew our mind with the Word of God, then, yeah, it's good to quote Scripture. It's good to know what you believe, why you believe it, according to God's truth. So nothing wrong with that. But he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. If you love one another. How do we? Love is a verb. It's an action word. It's a noun, yes. But it's also a verb. And in this context, it's used as a verb. It it means that we are to show compassion, love in action. Amen? So look for ways that you can show the love of Christ. Had a brother just... uh, Last week, really blessed my heart by turning, turning me on to the way Jesus drinks coffee. And I, I really believe if the Lord drinks coffee, this is how he drinks it. I mean, it's fantastic. Freshly ground coffee, bought me some freshly ground coffee, brought me a uh, French press. It's fantastic, man. Now that may not mean much to you, but that meant a whole lot to me. That's that's showing the love of Christ. Hey, I had another dear brother and sister couple that I've known many years called me up last week and they said, "Brother West, want you to know we love you and we pray for you." He, he they was actually the one that asked me about the Jacob Blake thing, you know. And they said, "Now we enjoyed your message. I just want to let you know he didn't get killed." But, so there's listening. But he said, I want you to know we love you, man. We're praying for you. Hang in there. You, that may not mean much to you, but that meant a whole lot to me. How I many of those small things are the big things? They really are. And when God puts somebody on your heart and on your mind, start thinking of ways you can show the love of Christ. Do that. It's what we're here for. It's what we're here for. So we show our love for Jesus by loving other people. Now, Let me give you some three powerful things love does. Number one, love speaks truth. Folks, I want to tell you something. It would be very easy for me to get up here and preach sunshine and rainbows and everything's going to be hunky dory and hallelujah. Just hang in there and we're going to be all right. Well, I'll just be honest, we live in a fallen world, we live in a sinful world, I don't know how alright things are going to be, I know who's still in control, but I love you too much not to tell you the truth, and guess what, sometimes the truth hurts, not only does it hurt you, it hurts me. Very seldom do I pick up God's word that I'm not convicted and offended. Not because there's something wrong with the word. It's because there's something wrong with Israel Price. I pick it up and see verses like I'm supposed to be loving others like Jesus loves me. And I think, well, I'm you know, I'm really not doing that in this area. And then it's, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit of God will put his finger right on things in your life that you need to change. And I'm really not doing that in that area. And then I flip over there and I see where I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Mm, struggling with that one and, and then I flip over and see where if I withhold my goods having having plenty of what I need but I withhold it from my brother who is in need, boy Lord I'm struggling with that one too and so I get offended and I think man I'm just a dadgum rot gut sinner yep pretty much what I am, a rot gut sinner saved by God's grace it's what you are too But thank God for grace. So what I'm saying is truth hurts. And and, and everybody thinks that if you really love somebody, you you never hurt their feelings. Well, that's not the truth. If you don't believe me, go back and read what Jesus said. I mean, he was preaching some stuff like y'all a bunch of uh, pit vipers. Y'all a bunch of snakes. That's what he's calling them. He goes. He tells people, "You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You look real good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death." That's hard preaching. Did he love them? Did he? Absolutely. He, he's trying to tell them, "Look, you, there needs to be a change here." Of course, he loved them. He goes to the cross and dies for them. But on his way, he speaks truth. See, Jesus is not just our Savior, but he is our example. To show the love of God means you speak truth. Um, years ago, when my son was really little, he loved Thomas the train. And I was cool with that because I kind of like Thomas the train. We watched Thomas the train together a lot. He was loving some trains. And so um, my mama, who does some photography on the side, as a, as a side business, she said, hey, come down. Let's go down to Soligent. There's some there's some trains down there. They got a caboose set up and other things, some engines at that time. And she said, we'll go down there and take some pictures at the train track. I said, yeah, man, it'd be great. So we got together, me and him, you know, and we dressed in overalls. He had his little conductor overalls, his hat, and that's some of my favorite pictures to this day. He's probably two or three, and me and him went down in our overalls, got a picture made at the train track. And so we're walking down this train track there, and somebody from, uh, I think it was, I don't know what that line is. I think it's Union Pacific. Anyway, one of the workers from the railroad comes out, and he says, man, I, I'm not trying to, y'all have a good time. He said, I'm just letting you know that in about 35, 40 minutes, we're having a train come through here. So watch that little man. I just don't want no, nothing to happen out here. And I said, great, man. Now, let me ask you something. I could have said, you know what? It's a free country. And I pay my taxes. And if I want to walk on a train track, I'm going to walk on a train track. you get over and mind your own business. I could have said that. I could have let it offend me. But guess what I did? I, I said, thank you, man, because I realized he's not trying to hurt me. He's trying to help me. But how much would he have to hate me and my son to know the train's coming and not tell us to get off the tracks? Does that make sense to you? Folks, speaking truth is telling people the train's coming. Standing on the the standard of God's word and speaking it is letting people know, listen, judgment is coming. But God has made a way for you to be saved. Hell is real. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Sin is still sin, but God forgives. Listen, we must do that if we really love people. And so even though it's easier just to go with the flow and and, and never ruffle any feathers, that's not loving folks. That's not helping folks. That's hurting people greatly. We've got to speak truth. Listen in love. In love. Jesus said, one of my favorite scriptures, John 8.32, you'll know the truth. It's the truth that really sets you free. Whew. So to love, you've got to speak truth. Let me tell you something else you got to do. You've got to extend grace. You got to extend some grace. See, we're operating like Jesus operates if we're operating in love. And he's our example. Guess what? He extended grace to me. He met me where I was. And that's how you do people. You meet them where they are. Dear pastor friend of mine called me up last week. He said, man, really pray for me. He said, I've got two uh, two people coming to my church now. He said, and I want to make sure that I speak truth, but I do it In a loving way so that i can draw them to the lord he started telling me a little bit about the situation the couple that he had coming was a lesbian couple he said man they've been here for the last month and he said i really think god's dealing with their heart i said praise the lord hope they keep coming hope they keep coming i said what are you doing and i thought he did something i thought was fantastic he said "I, i gave them both a notebook and he said i asked them to take notes, and if they got any questions about anything I say, to write it down and come see me. I said, are they coming to see you? He said, yeah, they've come see me two times in the last month. Well, praise the Lord. You meet people where they are. You love them and speak truth. Now, we, we, we call right, right, wrong, wrong. We don't condone sin. Absolutely. But, folks, if you don't meet the sinner where they are, how are they going to get saved? So you extend some grace. you extend grace to them just like God extended grace to you. Ephesians 2 and 8 for by grace are you saved through faith? Amen? So love extends grace. Let me tell you something else does love does. Love shows mercy. Amen? Show some mercy. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Sometimes, for me, I think it's easier to show grace than mercy. Because if I'm not careful, I can become very judgmental and want to hammer home you getting what you deserve. Right? That's just me. The Bible says in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, that the mercies of God are new every morning. I think that's 321 through 23. Now, I'm so thankful for that. Because I need God's mercy every morning. Every day I need it. Every day I need it. And as God's people showing the love of God, we've got to extend the same mercy given to us. And we don't always, we don't always have to make sure people get what's coming to them. Show some mercy. Show some mercy. we got to do that. we got to do that. Love speaks truth, it extends grace, it shows mercy. How do I know that? That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did through the cross. And so tonight, going back to Romans 13, I'll close. Paul said, if you're loving God and you're loving men, You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to kill or murder. That's what he's talking about there. There's a difference in killing and murdering. I wanted to really get on the, we've spent so much time in Romans 13, 12 and 13. I'm going to move on. But I really wanted tonight to go back and talk about the death penalty because there's so many questions about that. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. There's a difference in killing and murdering. God is just. Laws are there for a reason. And government is meant to restrain evil. So maybe I'm I'm pointing in the direction I'm thinking. But anyway, he says if you're loving people like you're supposed to love people, then you won't kill, you won't steal, you won't bear false witness, you won't covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly compared in this saying, namely thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love fulfills the law. That's the power of love. Man, it's a powerful force. It really is. And when you know the love of God, then you can show it. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions?